Create Out Loud is brought to you by Anchor.fm. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast so you can, yes, create out loud. It's free. They give you tools so you can record easily on your phone or your computer. They'll distribute the podcast for you. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Because yeah, I want you to create out loud. Hey, welcome back. This is Create Out Loud with me, your host, Jen Loudon. On this show, we invite the world's most interesting, dynamic, and groundbreaking creatives to get vulnerable about their creative journey and to share the lessons and insights they've learned along the way so you too can have a deep and fulfilling creative life. This week, we're talking to Carrie Smith. She's a Canadian conceptual artist and the author of so many books that she's lost track, including Wreck This Journal, which has, are you ready, 16 million copies in print. Oh, yeah. Carrie and I go way back and have communicated over the years, and her books meant a lot to my daughter and I and to my own creative journey. One of the things you've probably heard me say in other episodes is I struggle to see things fresh. I get into ruts. I guess we all do. It's one of the reasons I create this show. And Carrie is one of the people I turn to to help me get out of those ruts. And that's why I wanted to talk to her and share her with you. Let's go. So Carrie, this is the total truth. Almost every time I take a fruit sticker off a banana, I think of you. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. You are not the only one. That is so weird. I've had people talk to me about fruit stickers all week. Was that from Gorilla Art? I couldn't remember. No, it's from Wreck, I think. Oh, it's from Wreck This Journal. Oh my God. That's funny. You know, when I think about people that I want to have as a guest, I think about people whose work has meant something to me, whether it's in the last month, years and years ago. I don't know how I found you when I started getting those emails that you used to send when, ah. you know, they were kind of like little poems, sensory yeah. poems. And my daughter and I have some amazing memories of making Gorilla Art, which is one of your books. When she was in high school, we would um, go around town. And one time we left little post-it notes everywhere with little messages to people and hid them over our, all around our little town. Another Aww. time we did chalk art. It's been a really great creativity mentor for both of us. So I wanted to thank you for that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. As I know you have for millions and millions of people. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because now there's been like a whole generation that has grown up on uh, Rack and Gorilla Art Kid and and they still write me still like this thread throughout their life. That is awesome. So we should give listeners just a little context about your work. Do you still consider yourself a conceptual artist? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. First and foremost. And it's funny because that sort of has grounded me and made my work more playful because I don't see the book as a static object. As you know, (laughs) the book is for me, it's it's kind of just a vehicle, but it's also this sacred object that I pay homage to over and over again in different ways. And I've been obsessed with books my whole life, but particularly books as an object, as a sacred object. Now I'm, I'm pushing it further as I do my work in the last year into book as object, but now book as sacred object. What does that mean for myself? You know, that's where I'm playing right now. Yeah, let's go there. But first, let's just back up for a second because people are going to be like, what is a conceptual artist? (laughs) My definition would be where the idea is more important 
than the presentation. That's kind of how I define it. The conceptual artist is led by ideas and concepts, and they will explore those in as many different ways as possible. The thread that runs through my work is that I'm always looking at something from as many different angles as possible, whether it's a tree or a book or whatever. It's, that's how I work. <laughs> You know, I feel like when I look at your body of work, it has such a feeling of cohesiveness. It feels very unified. I think of those as like signature themes. They're these ideas or these ways of creating that we keep modifying or playing with in different ways we can't quite get away from or, or fulfill. Oh God, I know. I just, uh, I just sent a manuscript to my editor. I've had the same editor the whole way through. Wow. That's so unusual. I know, isn't it? And like her and I are like two peas in a pod and I can't imagine doing my work without her. But she said, the new book I just submitted, she said, all the themes are still there, but they're presented in a new way. I'm not even aware of that. <laughs> I don't think we are aware of it. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, could you get a new idea? Could yeah. you talk about something different? <laughs> right. And don't you feel like you're stating the obvious over yes, and over, yes, right? Yes. But then people come to me that the readers come to me and they say, oh my God, this was like totally new for me. And I was like, really? Because to me, it's like old hat. It's really interesting that way. You can't see your own work, body of work no, very well. No, no, you can't. Let's go back to book a sacred object and this new book and how you're pushing it in a new direction. What do you mean by that? The book has a, the main theme, the concept is of time. I was researching ways in which technology was affecting us negatively. And it's so funny because the last year we've been relying on it so heavily to connect with people. And so it's been amazing for that. But I've been focusing on the ways where it hasn't been good. And so when you look at the internet and social media, everything is about the new. We're, mm -hmm. we're very focused on thing that is in the moment of the moment. And that mm -hmm. thing rushes by. If you can look at it like a rushing stream and that stream of information is just going and going and it never stops. It's almost impossible for us to inhabit time when we're online. And so I've been really focused on how do we inhabit time? And one of the ways to slow that rushing stream is to really sink ourselves into the something that I would define as a ritual. What a ritual involves is this idea of repetition. And it is through repetition that we can actually inhabit time and slow things down. And what we have lost on the internet is that sense of completion that we mm -hmm. get, right? Because scrolling newsfeed never ends. No, and our brain, why it's so engineered with, and this is, you know, they did this on purpose, not maybe nefariously in the beginning, but they can, some people continue it nefariously. Mm -hmm. Facebook, I'm looking at you. And that <laughs> that is that it's our dopamine receptors. They want something new and we can't overcome that. That's the way our brains are built. Right. That fascinates me about ritual and completion. I'm like, my whole body just kind of went, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Because what I'm talking about is called a negative feedback loop. And so our nervous systems were not prepared for this amount of like, we are built to experience completion. <laughs> we need it. And so through this whole last year, I had to test my own medicine like never before. <laughs> 
as we all have, I just dove headlong into journaling practice based on obviously not sharing (laughs) because this is another concept I'm working with is the idea of not sharing. Everything used to be so personal and now everything is just what happens to us when everything is all out there. It is not good, right? We need private space for contemplation. And this is the theme that I'm, I've been working with all year. What happens when we sink in and are able to inhabit time, then we have space to discover what our souls are really speaking about and what they're asking for. And I feel like with my own internet addiction, I sort of have come through the other side now, because as you mentioned earlier, I'm... <laughs> I am not online. I have removed myself almost. You really have. And when I always go and do a deep dive before I do an interview, I'm like, what have you been? Especially people like, I I don't want to ask the same questions, right? This to me is an art form. And I want to make sure that I'm eliciting the best of you for my listeners. And I'm like, wow, I really can't find very much. (laughs) No, I've done nothing. I did uh, exploration of the day when this was an Instagram feed when the pandemic started. And that was because I had so many teachers writing me. It started off in Italy. A bunch of Italian teachers wrote me and said, if you remember, the pandemic started in Italy. It was really bad. Everybody was completely on lockdown. Yeah. And I have a close friend in Italy too. And so it was very intense because it was like you could watch what was going to happen here. And we were worried about that. Uh, These teachers said, okay, we're all in lockdown and I need something for my kids to do. Can you help? I started coming up with a new activity every day to try and like give them something to do. So that was good. It was like I was coming out after being hidden for so long. But for me, what happened over the years was I started to feel a growing sense of toxicity in the online world. I got a lot of hate mail. I got a lot of negative stuff. I couldn't really understand it at first. But now that I've had time to look back, the internet turns us into sort of a pack mentality. There's a bit of an anonymity with it. And so people are not afraid to be really nasty. And I don't know why, like maybe because my work is so... I'm not about being super positive all the time. I, I like to be real, but I don't know. It's it's kind of interesting that... It's a question for me. In season one, we had the poet Kate Bear, who has an interesting relationship with the internet and her second book of poetry are blackout poems from positive and negative messages that she got either as emails or DMs or things. And so we talked a lot about that, but her poetry is super feminist. It's super, so you could see where guys and trolls and patriarchal bullshit would happen, but your work is all about play and seeing a new and wondering a new neighborhood and random chance encounters with your creativity. Totally. What's to hate about that? You could just say not for me, but yeah, I don't know. But I yeah, I definitely had some trolls that were really harsh to deal with. Basically, I pulled out completely. And it's been weird because we are trained as a culture that if we don't produce and the internet really fosters this belief. If we, if we do not produce, we will fail. Or what happens 
if you are not in that current news feed. And I started to see this overproduction or this push to produce in all areas of our culture. I was seeing it. My son was finishing elementary school and we had to go and look at middle school. And I saw it in middle schools and how, oh my God, these poor children compared to what I had as a child, they are pushed. They have to compete. So they're thrown into this world of you have to be in extracurricular groups, you have to perform in soccer, whatever, you know, it is. And it was just glaring to me that we are turning our children into producers, produce, 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 produce for Instagram. And now our personal lives, our leisure time is commodified and up for approval. <laughs> I was telling you before we started, and this probably will still be true when this airs, that I get I got kicked off of Instagram about six weeks ago for saying the word vagina. Vagina, vagina, vagina. I can say it on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my creative team behind me is like, hey, you got to go back on because no one's going to know about the podcast and no one's going to know about what you're doing. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And yeah. I'm looking at what's different for my life when I'm not on social media. And it's pretty profound. Oh my but God. I, I'm clearly going to have to design my business differently if I decide to stay with us. And I don't know what I'm going to decide or what I'm going to do. Totally. But, and you know, there are other options that, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to explore those too. Like what, like newsletter, a newsletter is more intimate, right? Mm-hmm. And it's targeted to a specific group of people who are already your fans. So I feel like that is much more personal and I respond more. And actually that's how I started. I used to have you this. Did. Yeah, you did. That's how yeah. I think that's maybe how we found each other. I don't remember. Yeah. And I had one that I started off with a snail mail one in the very beginning. Oh, I was- maybe because I had those wish jar cards. You must have been on the mailing list then, right? Because that yes. th- that was way before even I published. That is something that we all can look at and say, do we need this? Do we need this constant pressure to produce? It is not healthy for us. It was not healthy. When you see it in a 13-year-old, Yeah, so my son was having anxiety when he was in school. And he was having anxiety and we were like, we couldn't figure out why he seemed fine, but it would happen in the middle of the night. He'd have these panic attacks. And I think there was this pressure to produce in grade in the sixth grade. And if it's starting that young, we have to question that because in my mind, in sixth grade, you're starting to move out of childhood and go into adolescence, but you need to retain space to play and space to give your time self to think. And this is where all my thinking came from of this last year. So I believe that our goal as human beings is to figure out our own private uniqueness. What is that? And I stole that term from John Taylor Gatto. Who are we? You know, in older times, (laughs) in when we were kids, we had so much space. We had time to play. There was downtime. There was boredom. That's a big theme throughout culture now is boredom. When you provide space, then you can start to hear what your soul is telling you, things that you really need. And it so- seems essential for creating. I mean, what I notice in myself is that because I've been producing, whether it's books or, or teaching content or a weekly newsletter slash blog, or it really can lead to creative burnout because you don't have the yeah. time to do what I imagine you do, which leads me to a question, which <laughs> is 
spend days exploring and following an idea, whether you're reading a book and then it leads you to another book. And it's, it's exactly the experience you give us in all of your books or, or journals or the postcard book or the gorilla art book. They're all about following. You're giving us things to follow and build on. And right. that's what I imagine your personal creative processes. That's, that's exactly my daily <laughs> existence. And in the last year, it's been very slow because I'm doing it alone. It really essentially, I wander. I wander through my days and let one thing lead to another. It's often extremely simple. So one of the things that I've added to this experience is I'm pushing the journal, the, the journaling or the daily journaling into a ritualistic place. And that is something that I hadn't really thought about much before. I started making kind of accessories for my journaling practice. I'm in the process right now of making a quilt, which is just like a, a one cedar quilt that you take with you, portable, and you go out into the world with it. That creates this repetitive thing that is something that feels sacred. And so it's turning the journaling practice into something that is bigger than you. That's kind mm. of what it feels like. You know, I didn't grow up in a religious with a religious background. You know, my family's not religious at all. But I, I'm seeing the value now in those rituals that people who go to church have these beautiful things that, and so we can take some of that and implement it. I, I really believe that that counteracts the negative effects of social media and the internet, you know, for ourselves. I, I want to ask you about wandering through your day, though, because one of the things that a lot of the people I work with, writers and creatives in general, complain to me about, come to me for, is that they wander too much and nothing gets done. And they do want to produce stuff. They do want to finish stuff, complete stuff. And they mm -hmm. find themselves not starting something new, getting lost in the middle. So is there a way to balance that wondering? Or do you think that's just a more sophisticated way of creating that some of us gain enough self-trust? to do? Or do you think it lends itself to your particular style of being a conceptual artist? I mean, I could only speak from my experience, but I feel like the pressure to perform is what makes us feel kind of shame, mm -hmm. some kind of shame about- Produce, make a product. Yeah. And it, like, if you're not doing some, if you're not in the process of be, trying to be successful, then you're not working hard enough. And I think that is more damaging to me anyway, right? Like when I start to, to worry about what are other people doing, that's the thing that, that really gets to us. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like comparing ourselves to others. Uh, I have, you know, over the years come to understand like that is a really negative force for creative people. And so you need to do everything you can to cut all that out. Like for me, like not being on Instagram, I don't have it as much as I used to. Because it's true because you just don't see it. <laughs> don't see it. Right. I'm not looking at the people going, wow, oh, she's doing so well. And I'm, you know, what am I doing? I'm like, Every creative person I know when the pandemic started, we just, I know that the New York Times calls it languishing, but I went into this like, it's, it was like being stuck in mud and not 
being able to do anything. I couldn't work really. I, my work, I went back to my roots, which is like with Rectus Journal, right? Where I'm barely, barely writing in the journal every day. And if I wrote a little bit, even a sentence, it was like an accomplishment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I just allowed myself that say like, we're going through something really big. Let's just, let's just be in it and not criticize myself at all. And that's really been, that was so helpful. <laughs> but I still, you know, occasionally I'd get this, that critic saying, Hey, you need to work. <laughs> right. And so I did, I, I, I did, I was doing work all the way through, but it was so hard to get to the, the, the page, you know, I just wanted to spin off the idea of product versus process that Carrie was talking about. Cause I see it show up in a very particular way with writers. I work with a lot of writers If writers aren't generating words every day, they feel like somehow they're not a writer or they're not making progress or they're wrong or they're bad. Everybody has a different approach. So if writing every day in some form really keeps you juicy and connected to your project and your work, fantastic. But if it feels oppressive or it creates other issues, then you've really got to question it because it can be toxic productivity and the hustle culture coming in and saying that thinking about writing or working on your characters or creating a good organizational system for your work isn't writing. When if you don't do that stuff, if you don't attend to it, it's actually going to cause a lot of issues in your work, especially like organization or really giving thought to what is the point of this project. I see so many writers get into so much trouble because they just sit down and start writing and they don't give time to really think, what do I want from this project? Why will my dear reader care and be served or entertained by this? And what's the point? And that doesn't mean we can't write just for fun and there's lots and lots of projects where we don't have to do that kind of thinking. But for some projects and types of projects, it's really essential. And that product mentality actually keeps us from asking the hard questions and making time to wrestle with those things, as well as setting up good systems for ourselves and taking the time to maintain those systems. That was my rant. Thank you for listening. And when we talk about comparison and product and all of this, I mean, you've had a tremendous success. Wreck This Journal has sold how many copies? Last I heard, we were at 16 million. 16. Yeah. <laughs> in print, not sold. Six, 16 million copies in print. And that's just one of how many books have you written? 16? 12? Yeah, I don't even know. I lost track. Yeah, lost track. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. I lost track too. I'm like, what do you consider a book really? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it easier for you to let go of creating in that same pace and being out in the world? Because you're like, look, I've had a huge impact. I've made some good money. I've inspired 16 million people plus all the other books. Or does it put more pressure on you? Yeah, the publishing world sometimes puts pressure on you to create the same thing that you had success with. And I knew that a long time ago, but I don't pay any heed to that whatsoever because my books are about my personal process. Every single book that I put out is about some stage of my life where I'm struggling through. And all of it is the teach that which you most need to learn. When I wrote Wreck This Journal, I had just gotten married. In order to do that, I had to 
to sort of destroy my old life and it crumbled. And so it was this deconstruction period. Later on, we had Explorer and that was about starting to build things up again and really take heed, pay attention to awareness. What are we taking in every day? So anyway, it's just about my personal process. I can't really worry about that pressure to succeed. And also the writing process, you cannot force it. It has to feel like there's like this life energy to it. If you don't have that, you have nothing because what people respond to in a creative work is that energy that you have in creating it. So if you're feeling electrified as you're writing, that that's what people respond to. If you're writing something and it just is not working and it feels terrible, I just feel like there's not an electric charge to it. Although I will say that I can have the electric charge in the first draft or maybe in the second draft, but sometimes by the third or the fourth, there's not a lot of electric (laughs) charge. That's true. But I know it was there in the beginning. (laughs) Right. And that's the most important thing because, but you know, you've looked at it so many times. So many times you get so tired of yourself. Your husband really has played an important role in (laughs) your creativity. And there's this great story about he and a friend were dancing with headphones on somewhere to get unstuck. And then he got you to do it maybe on a city street. I wasn't quite sure. And you said this was really important. And, And the reason I asked, Carrie, is because to me, the thing that keeps drawing me back to you, I think why I think of you when I take a fruit sticker off, you know, is because I feel like one of my biggest issues in life which is why I do this podcast, is to have that freedom that that you try to have and that you bring to us in your books. I struggle with that. I struggle with that letting go and that going into the unknown so much. And it seems like that dancing story was a pivotal moment for you. Oh my God, was it ever? (laughs) I mean, explain, because I didn't explain it very well. Explain to people what it was. Well, I mean, you can Google it. It's, I believe it's on YouTube still. It's called The Winter of the Dance. The Winter of the Dance. And that'll give you a really good sense of my husband and the way that he lives. But so we, I live in Northern Canada, uh, two hours North of Toronto in an area that has the most incredible amount of snow. (laughs) It's called Lake Effect Snow. I married my husband. He had just bicycled across the United States and then we were getting married at the end of that trip. So he was with his best friend and they both moved into my house when they finished the journey. They're from California (laughs) and and they asked me like, what's the weather like? I said, oh, You're going to love it. It's going to be great. I had no idea because I'd never lived in California. I'm from Canada. I don't know. And so they showed up. It was really hard for them. I didn't even realize that at the time. I have my own creative world in my head that I retreat to all the time. I'm fine. You can leave me anywhere. I'll be good. But they were also very physically active with that place. Like we don't live there anymore because they couldn't handle it. But it averages in the winter. I mean, the average would be minus 15 Celsius. Often it would get to minus 25. I don't even know how they got the idea, but they started dancing on the street corner in this small town. They would put on headphones and they would go into that kind of world and just Mm -hmm. let it all hang out. When it first started, I thought, oh, this is great. It's like a conceptual art, right? Which it was. And then over time, I started to question it a little bit. Was it about being sort of voyeuristic 
or not voyeuristic, but like, you know, trying to show people that you're interesting or yeah, or cool or whatever. Yeah. Worried about that, you know, and you can hear me questioning them in the film. They recruited me to, they said, you got to come and try this. What I realized when I did it was that it pushes you so quickly into a place of feeling uncomfortable performing <laughs> in a public space. And this was a small town where I knew everybody, right? So that made it even worse for me. What I realized was it pushed pushed you right through your fear zone of that. And so that had the effect of at some point you have to not care at all what people are going to think. And that was really hard. It was hard for me, but I had this image of myself as being really daring at that time. And then I realized like, no, I, I'm not. It's almost like meditation in a way. If, if you've ever done intensive meditation and you get to a place where the ego just tr drops away mm -hmm. it, and it doesn't happen all the time but when it does it's like oh this is really freeing I don't have to care who I am anymore so also what I've been writing about a lot lately is a lot of the things that we've grown up with culturally they may or may not be true things like that your parents have said you need to do this you need to go to school you need to be successful I think we're not questioning those things enough in our culture mm. and we're not questioning culture itself and its influence on so someone who's listening who says you know this all really resonates with me but how do I even how do I begin to free myself I mean forget dancing on the side of a street yeah. corner in my That's small extreme. town in the winter. But like, yeah. how do I even let myself go with words or or with color? You know, you, you wrote somewhere, someone interviewed you and you were talking about your process. And you said, at first I played around with not controlling the medium as much, letting ink wander and roll around the page, adding water, dropping things. Then it evolved into letting work become altered by outside influences, weather, et cetera, letting the work be influenced by the place I was working in. And you went on from there. And that became the basis for Wreck This journal. Do you think that every one of your books is an invitation to, to let go and see where that takes you? Is, is that what we do? Do we start with your books? I mean, how do we do it? How do we start to let go some yeah, I mean, of our so control? Where the indeterminacy and the chance comes in. Right. The John Cage influence in your own Yeah, your because yeah. that allowed me to remove the ego. And this gets back to sort of the repetitive stuff too, is whatever we can do to remove the ego and start to have a practice of creativity. Because that gets us in the, the habit of not caring. Habit so like, of not caring. That's brilliant, Carrie. The yeah, habit of not caring. It's kind of like a muscle. So if you do it in really small ways, at first, that's where the journaling is really helpful. Then it sort of translates to the bigger things in life. That's where it gets kind of exciting. Ooh, the habit of not caring. So here's an idea for your creative toolkit. What if you created anti-habits? I mean, we're always talking about good habits and, you know, improving our habits and atomic habits, which always make me feel like I'm going to somehow like have a nuclear meltdown. But what if we had anti-habits, habits we don't do, the habit of not caring what other people think, the habit of not asking other people for their opinion about our work or what we should do next or try next, the habit of not grabbing the next new technique that we see on the internet, the habit of writing more than reading about writing, <laughs> but really, really most of all, the habit of not caring that makes my whole body light up what about you 
you practice moving the pen at first. When I was doing the exploration of the day, I came up with this idea called boredom drawings. And it's just repetitive motion. And some of them are really simple where you have to draw diagonal lines on a page. You get as close as you can to the line you just drew, but not touch it. It's really hard to do. It, it sounds really easy, but it's very meditative. And then by the end of it, you feel like, wow, I have this kind of beautiful, these beautiful lines. And like, if you did it 10 times, they're all kind of different. Playing with this kind of practice where it's not about the finished piece. It's about the process of just playing around and experimenting. I'm not interested in whether you make something that looks beautiful at all. In fact, as I get sent wreck this journal from people who have finished them, and the ones I like are the ones where people really let loose. <laughs> I, I don't like the ones that look so decorative, you know? I saw some on YouTube where people had turned them into art pieces. And I was like, wow, that's not what we did. <laughs> it looked yeah. like nothing when we were done. I don't know. I mean, we never even finished it. I never oh even thought God. about finishing it. I'm like, oh, I don't like that one. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I feel like if you do it correct, well, I shouldn't say correctly. There's no correct way to do it. But if you do it in the way that I intended, there should be a little bit of mold on it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there might be... The dog might eat it. <laughs> yeah. You've been obsessed with books your yeah. whole life. You worked in a bookstore for different bookstores for years. What does that look like right now? Like how how do you decide what to take in and Oh my God. I read constantly, obsessively. I feel like this last year, the fiction has been so good for me. Me too. Like, it's been my retreat. My kids too. We've all just gone crazy. So what I did was when the pandemic started, and I know this is totally coming from someone who, you know, I have money, I'm privileged. I decided because we are not going to do school we could order as many books as we wanted without guilt. <laughs> so that's, that's what we were going to spend most of our money on in the last year. And that's what we did. It felt a little reckless at first because normally you like go out and you're like, okay, I can only get one book. <laughs> Which and book I should be. <laughs> and so I said to the kids, let's just do it. This is like a dream I've had my whole life. It's like, <laughs> me, too, me too. I'm so glad you did it. I'm living vicariously through you. So we just went crazy. We ordered books. We fled to Nova Scotia. We have a family cottage there. I have a health condition that makes me more susceptible to COVID. And so we were freaked out. Mm. I was like, I cannot get this because I don't know what's going to happen. So anyway, I just went crazy with fiction. The fiction was just so wonderful. And it puts me into a state of being aware of the small smallest little things in your surroundings. It's like you become hyper tuned in to things in the way that people write. And poetry does this as well, right? It's like tuned into smells and, and sounds and everything. The whole year has been a very sensual kind of experience. And I started daydreaming about this idea of having a library in the woods because I, we were in the woods most of the time. And for some reason, this image is still like resonating with me. So I feel like I need to create one somehow. <laughs> I would need a library in the woods. I don't know how to do it though, because of the mold problem. But so I did an installation last year. Was it? No, God, two years now. So it's like we lost a year. Yeah, right? I know. I, I keep doing that too. And it was at this place in upstate New York. 
York called Olana, which is the old the house of the painter Frederick Church. Mm-hmm. And so I did this installation based on the Wander Society. And it was a tent that you could go into. And there was all this paraphernalia. And there was like books in there. And all the famous wanderers, there were photos of them. And it was really fun to do. I'd never really done that before in, in, in such a big way. But it was a very interactive piece too. You could go in. And I had this machine that was like an oracle. And so you would click on it and it would spit out like a prompt for you to do when you're out on the in the woods there. I want to do more sort of installation work like that at some point. That's going to be <laughs> what my focus is in the future. I'll never leave books behind, but I like this idea of interactivity. Although now with COVID, I don't know. <laughs> Well, eventually, 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 eventually we'll be able yeah. to. So there's a couple of th- places there I want to go. Tell me about the Wonder Society. Tell me about Walt Whitman. So I became obsessed with Walt Whitman. He was just very grounding force. And, you know, I'm Canadian. I'm not American. So I didn't grow up with any of him. Where I live here, I'm not in Nova Scotia right now, by the way, but I'm by Amherst, Massachusetts. And Emily Dickinson is there, her her house. And so that's interesting, too. Like, I, I started to get into the poetry poetry. I never really been hugely into poetry because I felt like I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized at some point that you don't need to understand it. In fact, it was actually my son who said this. He was like six years old. And he said something to the effect of, Mama, you don't need to understand poetry. You just need to feel it. And I Love was like, oh, I couldn't believe that he got that. Like he really got that in his body at six years old. And I was like, that's it right there. And that's, that's it for so many things. It's like, we need to feel things in our body. That's another thing that our culture is not good with, which is embodiment and sinking into the body and really like activating our senses all the time. That's the thing that makes us feel alive. You know, being online all day, we're losing that. Every time like I start to feel like I'm not doing well emotionally, it's like I just need to go out, sink into nature. It's so easy just Mm -hmm. going outside, touching trees and like smelling everything. And so the senses are the way back to (laughs) ourselves. But tell us about the Wonder Society and tell us about that project so that we'll understand the the installation. Then I want to ask you how you made the installation because I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. So the Wonder Society is a book that I did, which was based on this self-organizing group, underground movement of people who were wandering. And the whole point to it is that you wander with no purpose. So it's not just about like going for long walks. It's, it's about engaging in a task that has no purpose and no final outcome. And so listening to our intuition while we're doing it, going out and saying, okay, what direction do I move in right now? And saying like, what does my soul want me to do? It's really kind of that simple. And it's, <laughs> I think it's definitely for introverted people who want to connect with others, but there is this group aspect to it where you can. So there is a secretive Facebook group there that writes regularly. And that's kind of a big part of it too, that it keeps changing and altering on its own. It's got its own life to it. <laughs> you know? all, all of your books do. I mean, the Wreck yes. Journal does and Gorilla Art. I mean, they all, they go out in the world and become what they're going to become through people yeah, doing I, it. I feel like they're separate from me and they are all a collaboration with, I call them users, not readers. People take it and that it's kind of like we, we do something together. I give you the initial like breath and then you take it, see where it goes for you and 
everybody has their own responses to it. So no outcome is ever the same. It all changes. It's yeah, the essence beautiful. of creativity. You know, initially the idea was from the writer Umberto Eco, and he wrote a piece called The Open Work. And that was him talking about, I believe it was like writing being a collaborative thing with the reader because we all bring our own associations to things. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite beautiful in that way. I love it. So when you made an installation for the first time, like, can you take us through? Because the, the, that what came up for me was, how did you envision that? Or how did you find the stuff? And how did you build it? So I had this book, The Wander Society that I had created. And then I started to think about, I have to create an entire world. What does that look like? And this is uh, where I'm working with the journaling as well. This is the same concept. You get to create your own world. What does that look like for you? You know, you can create like a, a logo or something that represents the, the piece. You create for the Wander Society, creating literature to, for, for that world. And then I had to create this physical space what would that look like got this canvas tent inside it looked more like there might be photos online somewhere it looked more like a cabin because I put wood on the inside and then I had photos of Walt Whitman and all the, the writers and wanderers and then it was very much something that you had to go in and explore yourself and sort of come to your own conclusions about what was this thing why was it in the middle of the woods <laughs> And it. then I had like the people who would come to visit, we had all these little strips of fabric that they would sign and put quotes on. And we had strips of fabric everywhere, like just colored, they were sort of red and yellow. And it was quite beautiful. And that part of it, it was interesting because I didn't, I mean, I, I put the stuff there for people to do and then people just made it. It ended up becoming its own thing. Just like your books. Yeah. And then we had a lot of, we had like camps and workshops around it too, where people were making journals and it was so much work, but in the end, it didn't feel like much because it just happened naturally, you know, organically. So it's, it's like the, theme for the you. thing that charges me up is creating world. What I've been doing with the journaling right now is making accessories for the journaling and stuff like that. And like the quilt, the quilt is an accessory. The quilt and, you know, making my own logos for, I, I call them logos, but that sounds like too businessy, but it's like another term is a personal ensign, which is like a symbol that represents you. And then we're using that repetitively. So now I'm creating this whole world around myself. Like, what am I into? And really pushing that I, I taught a class at Emily Carr University for a year. Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is basically my course. <laughs> we all started with a long list of all the things that are interesting to you. What are you into? And then we take that list and we work from that to create a, a world, whatever that is. And because it was an illustration class, it's like you would create illustrations around it. Or what if you wanted to create a company around it? Whatever you wanted. It could be anything. Just really starting to pay attention to what you are responding to as a human being. And that's where all the, the juice lies. All of my work comes out of that. I love that because it really, in, in a way, it's so simple. And, and yet I think it's so complicated because so often a lot of our listeners are women or people who identify as women, and we don't give ourselves time and permission to pay attention it, to, to the simplest thing, mm -hmm. right? To what, to what we want to make our world out of creative world at this time. And we don't get, and this is a theme that comes up with a lot. I ask this a lot of our guests and we don't give ourselves permission to change, to go, okay, I'm done with that. And yeah, there'll be things I take without even knowing it, like you have, like we were talking about signature themes, but that I let myself keep growing. 
I think a lot of times we get bogged down with all of this external stuff. And then that becomes the thing that's leading us. But what we really need to do is go inside. I mean, this is partly, you know, where I am in my life too, at my age. It's it's an age where they say you start to go internally more. So I think that could be partly the influence, but where I'm starting to really, really look at what I'm into and and separating the the self that has been created over the years. Right? And that's hard to do when that self has had a lot of success. Can yeah. be harder. Can be harder because yeah. everyone wants Carrie Smith who makes Wreck This Journal, who makes right. you know, the Wonder Society, who makes Gorilla Art Kit. But I put her, I'm putting her down. <laughs> right? Well, like, with mercy, with mercy. <laughs> yeah, because that is a, a fabrication, something that also was formed from other people, mm-hmm. not myself. Because mm-hmm. you know, when you have any kind of success, people meet you and they want to, they have an idea of you already, right? I always feel it's really disappointing to meet me in person. Me too. <laughs> I know, no, I have that too, because I'm introverted. Now I present as extroverted. That's nice. It's good to have because people go, wow, she must be fun. I'm not that fun. I love to read my book. Yeah, I like to exercise. I'm not out there that much. And my work is out there. My work is very loud, but I am not. I'm very quiet and insular. I'm okay with that now. I've come to terms with that. And that is why I don't do much, right? Like I don't, I I honestly do not do public engagements. I don't really do podcasts. Once in a while, I'll come out of my shell and I'll do them. But it has to be someone that I know or like. <laughs> I appreciate you coming out of the shell for this really very much. So Carrie, I have this last question that I ask everybody. And I feel like for you, I'm going to have to say, you can only tell me three things. because <laughs> You're going to love this question so much. What, what do you want to learn next? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh God. I love that. Gosh, this is a good question. It's a big question. It is a big question. It could be the whole interview with you. <laughs> Well, okay. So this is what's interesting. Like, so one of the things I do in my journal is what I call my research. And that that is like just personal research of things that I'm interested in. And I'll take like a theme and then I'll follow that. And then I'll find books related to that. This sort of meandering, beautiful thing that continues all throughout my work. Give me Um, an example of a theme that you would... I mean, so my books turn into them. The one that I worked on in the last year, I I started by researching the negative impacts of social media and the internet. And so I started going down that path. Oh, it was so amazing because I I would have these explosions of insight of where I was learning. It's affecting our nervous systems really negatively. I'm obsessed with philosophy. And so I want to sort of continue down. I'm looking for contemporary philosophers. The one I've been obsessed with in the last year is by Young Chol Han, and he's in Germany. He's Korean, and he's really amazing. And that's where I'm getting a lot of my ideas. So I'm stealing <laughs> some of his. He talks about the rushing stream and finding a sense of home within time. Yeah. So that's philosophy is the one thing that I'm obsessed with. I've been trying to explore magic, not magic in a a magician sense, but magic. What is magic for me? I've been really into this word exaltation. What causes exaltation? When we were in Nova Scotia, we were down on a beach 
And one night my daughter said, it looks like there's something sparkling down there in the water. And I was like, that's weird. So my son threw, it was dark. My son threw a rock in and it was the bioluminescence, which I'd never experienced before. It's incredible. I did once in the Caribbean. Yeah. And it like, that was life-changing for us. <laughs> we were just yes, like, it's we true, next- those magic moments. I remember swimming in the dark in the Caribbean with some oh. people. We, we were on a boat going between islands and we saw it and we all just got in the water. And I'll never forget that. It's kind of that kind of magic where you're experiencing something that is like so huge. Contrast to that, some of the things that create magic for me are the simplest too. Finding a stone that I really enjoy for the day and like touching that. I've been really into textural things, toothy paper in my journal and only work in journals that I make myself now. So that was kind of a new thing in the last few years, experimenting with toothy paper and really simple materials. The kids and I have been try- like learning to make ink and materials and paint brushes. So that's something I'm still kind of learning learning about. That's really fun. I'm a knitter. So I've been, God, did I ever knit this year? (laughs) I did stress knitting, you know, and knitting is very repetitive too. So there's that ritual Mm -hmm. and it has a calming effect. It, It calms me immediately. It's just so wonderful. So those are things I've been learning about and thinking about. Carrie, it has been so much fun to just wander around in your head. <laughs> Thank you so much. I mean, I'm so grateful that you wrote. It's good for me to come out of my shell. <laughs> I'm glad you came out of your shell for us. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Jen. Carrie Smith, just blew all the cobwebs out of my creative burnout that I've been on the edge of during the pandemic. That's what I wanted. You know, I have these conversations with these people that I bring here because I want to talk to them. I hope that comes across. And because I think they have something incredibly useful for you, but I get so much out of it. Sometimes the podcast feels a little like therapy to me and definitely today it was. So many ideas and so much energy burbling around in me right now. I hope it's true for you too. I hope you'll have a couple good takeaways. For me, it's all about how to introduce randomness into my own creative practice and get out of that ego. I think Carrie just captures that so well. And when I've played with her various books like Reckless Journal and Gorilla Art Kit, I have really experienced that. So I need more of that. I hope you'll share this episode with a couple friends and discuss it and put something into action. It's those small action steps, even if you just do one thing from this podcast that are going to enrich your creative practice. Speaking of creative practice, next week I have Beth Pickens. She is the author of Make Your Art No Matter What. She is a creative counselor and passion advocate for creatives to really have healthy, sane, creative lives that are realistic and balanced and daring and fulfilling. Every minute of this podcast has a gem in it. You are going to want to make some notes. (laughs) It's a good one. Beth Pickens next week. Are you subscribed? So you get those little notices and whatever you uh, use, whatever app you use to listen to your podcast, and then you won't forget that there's a new one dropping. And speaking of subscribing, I write a great email newsletter and you can sign up for it at jenniferloudon.com. Now that was a crappy pitch. So let's try that again. I write a tip-filled, inspiring, beautifully written, resource-sharing, how-to-keep-creating-no-matter-what newsletter. 
get it at jenniferloudon.com. Is that better? See, we're always working on how do we talk about our work? How do we connect so that you go, oh yeah, there's something in here for me. Go check it out. And I'll see you here next week. In the meantime, create out loud.